On today's Off the Circle, we're speaking with Rich Banta, the Chief Compliance Officer of Lifeline Data Centers, and we're going to be talking about the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement Program. based entrepreneurs and business people. Learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way. Off the Circle, the Indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before. Welcome back to another Off the Circle. I am here today with co-host Frank Leonard of Leonard McDowell. And uh, we're going to be talking some technical stuff today, aren't we? Yeah, exciting stuff. Data center. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about the Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement Program. Did I, did I, did I say that acronym FARS right? DFARS. That is correct. <laughs> and uh, we are sitting with Rich Banter. Rich is the, uh, your, your, well, let's see, founder, co-owner, and chief compliance officer with Lifeline Data Centers? Among other things, yes. Yeah, so, and, and for people who haven't met Rich, uh, I'm sitting right in front of him, so it's the, uh, I'm gonna try to embarrass him. But you might be the most certified, qualified technology expert that I've ever met in my life. Well, those are kind words. I, I do have a lot of letters after my name, <laughs> but uh, to operate where Lifeline operates in the industry, it's a necessity. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe uh, for people that are listening that don't uh, haven't been introduced to Lifeline, and you know the importance of those certifications, would rattle off you know some of the certifications that you guys really lead the charge on in the Midwest, and then as a private data center, uh, lead the nation. Well, just as a data center, we are we designed and operate uh, based on the, the TIA-942 standard for telecommunications and data centers. And we are FedRAMP ready, meaning we have been assessed by a third-party assessor and the FedRAMP Project Management Office. And that means we have assurance that when we enter the authority to operate process with a federal government agency, we shall pass. In addition, we are right in the middle of our first run through an ISO 27001 certification. That is a high bar. About 3% of organizations are capable of obtaining that. It's not an easy exercise for us. It's a challenge. But to put it in perspective, that covers 187 operating and material controls. The FedRAMP moderate baseline, which we have already achieved, encompasses 526 operating and material controls. Just, uh, Rich, for our viewing audience and listening audience, could you just give us a couple examples of some of those types of controls? An example would be uh, to log into a system, you absolutely have to have multi-factor access. Um, For instance, an RSA token and your password in addition to your user login. The same goes for all physical access. Some actually require biometrics on them. It covers encryption of data, both at motion and at rest, and the standard to which that data is encrypted, which is military these days. Wow. That's, that's helpful for our audience. And what did, you know, from a, from an audio, you know, from a customer standpoint, you know, what kind of industries and, and companies, uh, is that attractive to? Well, in addition to the federal stuff, we, uh, we also have a PCI or payment card industry. Um, 
attestation and report on compliance. So we're, we're certified there across the board. You can hand that to the credit card company and to the bank and say you're good to go if you're with us. We are ready to go. Anybody that needs to go through the high trust common security framework certification process with us is ready to go. And we're ready to go for defense contractors with FARs, DFARs. Wow. And, and um, I'm going to keep going with the sales talk here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, talk about the difference that it makes that you're not an Amazon, a Google, uh, you know, a massive, you know, com company from a, um, I mean, you, you have massive square footage, obviously, and just tons of resources here. But being a private company, what does that do for the relationship with the clients that you reach? Well, uh, Lifeline Data Centers will have been in business for 18 years come February, and we have had some of our customers since 2001. Wow. It's, it's kind of a Hoosier Midwest relationship-based business. That's a big differentiator. As far as being in this particular business for 18 years, that makes us grizzled veterans. A lot, of, a lot of newcomers, a lot of youngsters in the business. Yeah, and I think that's great. That's a great Indiana story. And Rich, could you comment briefly on some of the consolidation that's been going on in the data center marketplace, particularly here in the Midwest? Well, all of our contemporaries that were locally owned or didn't yet exist when we entered the market have been acquired by out-of-state entities. Lifeline Data Centers is the last standing locally owned and locally operated data center and cloud service provider. No, that's outstanding. And can you also just share with the audience uh, your plans to uh, open the new market up in northern Indiana? I can. We, we have uh, 30,000 square feet at our venerable Henry Street location. We have 90,000 square feet out here on the east side at the former Eastgate Shopping Center. And we have 60,000 square feet under construction in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That is going to be the first EMP, electromagnetic pulse, and CME, coronal mass ejection, protected commercial co-location facility in the continental United States. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, you have to explain CME. That's a, that's a new acronym that I've not heard. A coronal mass ejection is a solar flare. Wow. There are always solar flares going right. on. We're in a period of relatively low activity right now, but they are going on constantly, firing out randomly. And, the, if you, and if you get a huge one with an ion wave, well, that can it, knock out electronics. It is a statistical inevitability that one of those is going to line up directly with Earth. The last time, and that happens in about a, statistically, it's a 150-year window. The last major one of these to hit was the Carrington event in 1859. It set pieces of paper on fire on people's desks, and it completely blew up the telegraph system. It will destroy every solid-state device it comes in contact with that's not shielded. Every transistor with a PNP, NPN junction is permanently destroyed. That's incredible. That's scary. That is, that, that is scary. But, it, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, technology is moving at such a rapid pace that we don't often go back and fix the weaknesses, right? We keep introducing even more weaknesses sometimes to these systems. Oh, we, we expose ourselves to more and more vulnerabilities and dependencies almost daily. Yeah. And a lot of the people and entities in a position to do something about it spend more money lobbying not to fix it than they would to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but one of these events, right, one of these catastrophic events 
would mitigate that, you know, that cost immediately had they invested. Had they invested in it. There, there are states and government entities that are taking a real interest in doing something about it. And if you do a search on EMP or electromagnetic pulse, it is getting an awful lot more press and being recognized for a threat. Yeah. Our uh, enemies have weaponized it and will cheerfully use it against us. Yeah, and, and, and for people listening to that, uh, electromagnetic pulse, the, the original, I think, you know, kind of was uh, thinking about nuclear bombs. Right. But now they just have EMP bombs. They do. It doesn't actually blow anything up. It just sends out an electromagnetic pulse that can destroy all equipment. It's right? a little scarier than that because a really low-yield, unsophisticated device like the North Koreans have of a 10 to 12 kiloton yield, smaller than Hiroshima, yeah. detonated 100 miles up can take out half the grid of the United States. Wow. And all of our GPS and all of our cellular and... Everything gone. <laughs> and, and, and this is where our just-in-time delivery systems and particularly food is a, it's going to become a pinch point in yeah. a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. And any, uh, with the advent of solid state disc technology, there was a chance with stuff on tape and hard platter magnetic media that it could be recovered at some point. Everything is going to SSD for speed, portability, heat footprint, and all that. And uh, now that's going to be blown up and gone forever, too. So EMP protection is, has worked its way um, through the National Institute of Standards and Technology that writes uh, special publication 800-53 that uh, gives us its 960 controls and it, it gives us um, all other control families like the FAR, DFARs are derived from that. They're subsets of that. FedRAMP is a subset of that. Release 5 is in the wild in draft form. They have included EMP protection as a control enhancement for hypercritical data that cannot be permanently lost. Wow. It will have to be housed in such a facility. Yeah. Very few such facilities exist. They're built by the government, controlled by the government, and there are commercial institutions that have been invited to live within those uh, major financial institutions. All, all your too big to fail players are being uh, protected by the government. And Rich, are you working pretty closely then with the Department of Defense to get these certifications for that Fort Wayne facility? It will have to be certified um, by a qualified assessor against uh, military specification, MILSPEC 125-168. There's no fudging. There's no making it up. They are going to test it because this is really, really serious stuff. Yeah. It's and, not amateur hour. And that facility is going to be pretty unique because there probably won't be a whole lot of people that get in and out of that facility, correct? It, uh, it, it's going to take your usual data center standards, uh, very limited access, no cardboard, et cetera, to, to an entirely different level. And in addition to airlock, it has to have true dead man entrances, meaning the integrity of the electronic shield has to be maintained at all times. If you leave a door open for 30 seconds and the pulse hits, at that time, it was all for nothing. Yeah. So every single entrance and exit, every single airlock, every single everything will have to have yes. triple redundancy. Oh, yes. That's incredible. Well, and I think that's one of your strengths, you know, with this current facility out here at Eastgate. I mean, you guys are known for security. I know you've kind of got a habit of going around and making sure every cage is locked. And, I mean, that's one of the things I think you really pride yourself on. Every four hours. That's impressive.
for, for people, again, that, that don't know about Lifeline, one is um, thank you because personally you guys have been a client for, I think we're coming up on a decade now. I believe we are. Yeah, and, uh, and I got to say, knowing you guys from Henry Street, uh, I was here the first days that you guys were dragging mattresses, dirty mattresses, <laughs> and, and sweeping floors. You guys were in your coveralls every single day uh, with Eastgate Mall. So seeing this come to fruition like it has, and now it, now it looks like a NASA facility out there, has been uh, just awe-inspiring. So congratulations on all the hard work there. Thank you for the kind words. It was a vision that absolutely no one but Alex and myself shared. Yeah. <laughs> to, to the point of being ridiculed. Yeah. The other, the other thing that I was always impressed with was that um, even, even you're doing it now with the Fort Wayne facility is that you guys have never just, you know, grabbed off the shelf crap and tried to box it up and sell it as a data center. Um, you've engineered every aspect of every system, including the new facility with the EMP shield. Um, by by doing the hard work, you know, hiring the right people, uh, and and then coming up with something truly innovative, so that one you could pass on, obviously that efficiency to your clients and cost effectiveness, but two that it was over engineered and that it was you know built to last. Oh, so, so much of what is out on the market is over engineered. Uh, we. We hold patents on power delivery and cooling, and a uh, provisional patent is on its way for the electromagnetic pulse shield. But the real reason we build our own stuff is because of over-engineering. Um, we try and, we, we used to call this, uh, our marketing slick says it's relentless innovation. Internally, we call it too dumb to know better. But in reality, it, it's dumb this stuff down. Yeah. Um, for instance, an off, we build our own generators because an off-the-shelf generator is riddled with sensors and all kinds of stuff to detect any problem that would shut it down if it thinks anything is wrong. Right. We buy big old cast iron pot metal block uh, generators, engines, and assemble our own generators from them. Um, but an example would be uh, we had an IPL power outage that lasted for four hours and 15 minutes. One of our generators, 20 minutes into the run, blew a seal out of uh, one of the turbo units. Um, it was pumping out a comical amount of smoke. These are continuous duty generators. We can just pour more oil, oil in them, they'll keep going. If that had been an off the shelf, super sophisticated generator, shut down. a sensor would have shut that thing off. You'd have an error light and you're done. Ours just kept going along, grinding, in that state, delivering plenty of power for the remaining three hours of that outage. That's incredible. We, 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 almost oversimplify. The air handlers, we build our own 10-ton and 20-ton air handlers, crack units. They have one moving part, yeah. an axial fan. And the mean time between failures on a modern free-running 480-volt three-phase motor is tens of thousands of hours. Yeah. Out of 67 current running units, we lose a fan about once a year. That's incredible. And it takes, the units are so complicated and sophisticated it takes 10 minutes to change that fan motor out yeah. bam incredible well with your expertise rich uh, let's get back to the defars topic because uh it seems to me that i've heard recently the federal government's going to start investing more money and in auditing that and can you just comment a little bit about how important that is for 
anybody that's a supplier to, to government contracts. Okay. And, and that was theoretically supposed to go into effect December 31st, 2017. Nobody but nobody was prepared. To put DFARS in context, I, I mentioned FedRAMP, the FedRAMP moderate baseline. That's 526 operating and material controls with about 70 enhancements. Um, FAR DFARS, um, when you sign a federal contract with the DOD, you check a box. Even if you're a sub, sub, subcontractor, you check a box saying you are compliant with that. That box says that you are attesting you are compliant with NIST Special Publication 800-171. Um, and they are, the, the feds are sending out, get ready, you're gonna be looked at letters saying you had better do so. Now, NIST 800-171 consists of 126 operating and material controls, every one of which is included in the FedRAMP moderate baseline. Mm. And they are saying if you're using cloud, it doesn't have, a Fed, have to have a FedRAMP authority to operate, or authorization to operate, but it does have to be FedRAMP capable. So if I want to do business basically with, a, with the federal government as a contractor, I have to be able to prove through a third party that I can pass all of these conditions. You have to prove that you are either in full conformity with those controls or that you have a POAM plan of actions and milestones with acceptable timelines to address any gaps or findings that came from your audit. What's the recency and frequency of an audit when when you you know when you're getting into one of these engagements? They are still fleshing that out. Typically, you do all 126 controls in, in the land of FedRAMP. You do all 526 controls on year one, and every year after that, it's a three-year cycle. They select one third of the controls, and those come under extreme scrutiny. Yeah, interesting. So they're so they're basically spot checking. They are. They're keep, they also have a very aggressive continuous monitoring program in place. Um, you have to submit your inventories, the findings from your penetration tests, your vulnerability scans, and any. Uh, you have to get your vulnerability updates from CVE, US-CERT, and the Center for Information Security. And those are ranked high, medium, and low. And if they're high, you have 30 days to get them addressed. If you don't have it addressed in 30 days, you have to report to the feds that you don't have it addressed. And that's all of a sudden they become very interested in you. You don't want that. <laughs> so you, you do want to get those addressed. And I'm guessing that the, you know, the next step is if you don't get them addressed, you lose the client. You, you will lose your authorization. In this case, your government contract will be canceled. Yeah. Which could be millions. Oh, well. Because a migration from a data center facility has to be a incredible well, the, cost. The, the people who are really struggling with this, there, there are something like 1,400 defense contractors in the state of Indiana alone. And a lot of them are two, five, 10, 20-man shops. They don't have the technical chops to deal with this, nor should they. They should be working on defense projects to keep us safe. And some of them have, I, I, you know, I've, I've been a panelist and spoke in, in Dayton Ohio, you know, Wright-Patterson is the acquisition center for the Air Force. Um, Huntsville, Alabama, you know, Redstone Arsenal, which is the same thing for the Army. And a lot of the small defense contractors think this is some uh, malevolent plot to put them out of business or to favor the big players. It's not. It is to keep the Chinese and Russians out of our stuff. Right. And that's, that's presently a really big problem. 
It is to protect our intellectual property and our defense knowledge. Well, I think it's interesting that uh, you do get out there and speak quite a bit, Rich, and I know there's an upcoming event coming up in Indianapolis. Maybe you could just comment briefly on the Indiana Chamber event that's scheduled for uh, January 8th and 9th. There are, um, my panel is, is actually the boring one. There, there are some other panels and discussions that are, that are going on that look really interesting and fun, but I, I am on a panel for how the feds are looking at security and doing the, if you're going to do business with the feds, whether it's DOD or any kind of contracting, how the federal government is looking at this and what their expectations are of you, and that's evolving. Since we work with them so much, we have some insight into where that's going. But there are other people on the panel that, that work more directly with the government. Yeah, and that's a big two-day conference. Again, that's January 8th and 9th at the Conrad and, and the Hyatt. And uh, might be worth looking into if you'd like to learn more about cybersecurity and all these current topics. What's, what's the name of the event? It's called the 2019 Cyber Technology Conference and Policy Summit. Okay, we'll, we'll put those in the show notes as well for everybody. That sounds great. Well, Rich, uh, you also, um, how, how often are you talking, you know, between, obviously between peers, but you're helping clients on a daily basis navigate these waters? I, I am. It, it's a career fork I never thought I would take. And I do speak to large groups uh, and I sit on panels in front of large groups. Um, my comfort zone and where I can really provide the most value is, is lunch and learns or addressing specific areas of knowledge. And it, it's audience specific. I, I, uh, the National Institutes of Standard, Standards and Technology is a fantastic resource. And there's a lot of misconceptions about it. I can give a 40 minute or four hour discussion on the subject, depending on the depth to which somebody wants to go, uh, that this is content that was produced by PhDs on taxpayer expense. Right. And this is stuff we can all download for free, all of us. And I, I like, I enjoy mentoring. I enjoy demystifying this for people. Um, a lot of organizations enjoy that it's an enigma and they can name their price. I would rather have people figure it out and just use us for the, the stuff that they are really never going to be able to do. Right. But figuring out where that line is so they can do as much on their own as they can and save that much money before having to engage somebody like a lifeline. Well, and I think it's great, Rich. Uh, I think you do do an excellent job with the lunch and learns, and I think that's something the audience might want to be aware of. Typically on Thursdays, uh, Lifeline Data Center over here on Shadeland, uh, they do host uh, lunch and learns where you can come in and network and meet other individuals and you know, you may or may not have a data center need right then and there, but uh, maybe down the road you will. But they, they do a great job of educating everybody on everything that's going on in the data center business. And, uh, and Rich and Alex Carroll are both, uh, are both available, and it's very, very informative. And again, that's on Thursdays. The next one will be on January 10th. And as, as part of that, anybody that wants can receive a hard hat tour of the facility. And it's, uh, it's kind of a technology freak show. It's fantastic. It's a it's a fascinating, you know, thing to walk into a, a lockdown data center, and uh, and it's uh, and like I said, you know, seeing it from day one has been just blown me away. The the scales of economy here yeah. are intimidating, even yet to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's huge. Are are you allowed? Uh, and this is a I'm 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 just throwing a question out here. Are you allowed to talk about any of the clients that you do house here? 
I, I can say what industries they're in. Okay. We, 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 have, uh, we have a couple of major defense contractors here. We have those in the pharmaceutical industry. We have um, a lot of healthcare concerns here because of JCO and HIPAA. Um, we have some very large uh, retailers that, that make heavy use of the payment card industry credentials we care. But in, in the federal government arena, um, I, I can't disclose, but there are uh, systems, critical nationwide systems. Um, if, if they went down for any period of time, um, it would get a lot of press in a hurry. Yeah. Some of them came here because of a major outage in the past. And uh, the government agency insisted that it go someplace worthwhile, and, and it came here. Well, it's interesting, you know, when we say here, too, you know, for people that are listening from outside Indiana, Indiana really does have kind of a weather advantage as well here, too, right? In that we, we don't have incredible amounts of heat, you know, like a desert. We don't have hurricanes. We don't have, uh, we have very minor earthquakes, yeah. you know? Um, but, but it seems like from a weather standpoint, and you guys have probably done a lot more analysis than I even know, but it seems like everywhere else they run into some kind of really it's, bad weather issues. Well, uh, something else they run into in other places is uh, that most, most large, our number one business here really, as far as a data center, is heat rejection. Yeah. We do not have the capacity to heat this building except where humans live consistently, nor do we need it. Yeah. Come January, we are still rejecting thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of BTUs of heat. Because of Indiana's temperate climate, we are able to fully free cool for about three months out of the year. Wow. Um, we're able to achieve a very uh, favorable low. The, you're after a low number on power utilization effectiveness. Yeah. Ours is exception. It's low enough we don't publish it because people would would say we're making it up. Oh, wow. it, it is that good. So we just quote off that we're at some industry standard level, but our, our PUE here is exceptionally low. But it's because we're in Indiana. Yeah. And in the winter, we, we free cool. Now, that's averaged over the year. I, my PUE is like anybody else's come uh, sure. July and August. And uh, we, we like being here because Indiana's aquifers and reservoirs are generally full. Um, but we don't rely on evaporative cooling anyway. I have a concern with the big fancy places out in Utah and Nevada that rely on water evaporation to cool their facilities when... when Last time I flew over Lake Mead, yeah. it, it was kind of depressing. Was <laughs> but beyond that point, we went away from evaporative cooling. We gave up a few efficiency points to do it, but we are not relying upon city water. That's incredible. We could survive for a month with a total lack of utilities in that respect. And then for anybody who's been um, past the Eastgate facility, you also have a nice solar farm going on. We, we do. We, we have a, a solar array that's over four megawatts. It, uh, it can be attached directly in a, in a supercritical state of affairs, as uh, it is. It feeds directly onto the IPL grid. Oh, nice. But that, uh, that actually gave us, it increased the tolerance of the roof to wind speed in terms of we don't have to worry about lifting capacity because the solar panels are angled such that oh, it wow. pushes down on them. That's incredible. And it shades the building from the sun. <laughs> so it increased our efficiency a little bit more. And 17 acres of the parking lot is undercover. They look like giant carports. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You don't get the UV damage on your upholstery <laughs> in your car. It's, it's all good. That's a nice benefit. 
That's fantastic. And uh, if they come out on Thursdays, they can they can do the tour with you as well. They can. We'll, we'll do the special hard hat tour for those that are really interested and want to hear a bunch of technical gibberish. I've, I've got all you can handle. Yeah, and Rich, one other question. I know there's a lot of buzz about Amazon Web Services. Can you just comment a little bit about how you guys are different from anybody that might want to consider using Amazon? Well, I think if you're a startup, Amazon is a good way to go. Um, but there, there is, number one, they're not an Indiana company. Uh, number two, uh, whether you're talking about Amazon, Microsoft, Azure, or whatever, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates aren't going to take your call. In fact, good luck getting a human on the phone. Yeah. Here you're going to get a human on the phone immediately. And if you are really hurting, you can still get Alex or Rich on the phone at 2 a.m. It's, it's very personal. This is Indiana. That's fantastic. So if you, if you have questions about, um, obviously, the topic, DFARS, um, fed, all of the federal regulations that you talked about, um, the EMP shield is fascinating. I can't wait until that facility is open so I can take a look at that. And, uh, and, uh, but if you have any questions, where can people reach you at? Most inquiries are, are best handled coming through the website. They'll get channeled off to Perfect. the appropriate, appropriate subject matter expert. Yeah. Yeah, or if you have an interest in attending the lunch on Thursdays, you can reach out to me, Frank Leonard. Love to have you show up for some of the Thursday Lunch and Learns. It's a great uh, networking as well as learning opportunity. So we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put how to get a hold of Frank if you want to stop by for a lunch. Uh, Rich, if you need that technical um, you know, assistance at that high level. Uh, and, then, um, and then, of course, uh, you know, subscribe to Lifeline's uh, site. Um, you were talking about the, you know, a lot of times when these releases come through, you guys do do, uh, you know, kind of a quick, you know, here's the three bullet points that you need to understand and walk away with, with these, um, with these regs that are coming out. There is a National Institute of Standards and Technology released uh, NIST special, yeah, special publication uh, 800-37, yep. which is their risk management framework. And this finally incorporates the new risk management framework. I'm going to uh, break down some highlights from those and get those to you so we can get a blog entry Fantastic. together on that. And one awesome. last question for you, Rich. Can you tell me about the, the next certification you're, you're working on currently? I personally am uh, working to become credentialed as uh, a practitioner of the uh, NIST cybersecurity framework. They are moving, everything is moving in that direction. So FedRAMP, uh, Defense Information Systems Agency, they are trying to consolidate all this stuff around that framework, and it translates very well to the civilian sector as well. Oh, that'll be great. What's the timeline for getting that certification? Should I pass the exams? Um, we're looking at about the end of February. And folks, he always passes the exams. So. <laughs> well, good luck, Rich. Yeah. Hey, th thank you for spending time with uh, us today. That was I, that's a 30-minute walkthrough of just about the entire ecosystem. From 50,000 square feet. Yeah. Yes, it's been a privilege. Thank you. That's fantastic. Thank you. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review.